Welcome to Chief Digital Heroes, where we celebrate those who lead the charge on all things digital transformation at the world's most innovative banks and financial institutions. Here's your host, Matthew Van Niekerk, CEO and founder of Settlement. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. Thank you for joining us today. Let's jump in and get started. I would like to set the context a little bit for the webinar today. So there's recently been the launch at sort of the KBC of the Volodo Crowdfunding blockchain-enabled Volodo Crowdfunding platform. So, so far, there's been two campaigns launched in the last two weeks. And the first one sold out in about, let's say, less than 72 hours. And the second one had it launched yesterday, and it's already at the minimum level for the crowdfunding campaign and going. And well, we'll see where it goes. It still has, like, I think, 58 days in the cycle of the campaign, but off to a good start. And with that, what we thought it'd be good to do is to organize an open discussion with Dirk Hermans from KBC, who's been working in the blockchain space for quite some time at KBC. And so what I would like to do, just to get started, Dirk, can you maybe give an introduction to yourself for the audience here today? Yeah, we'll do that. First of all, thanks for uh, having me and to tell my story. So I started working a long time ago. I'm the same age as Swift. So uh, you can imagine <laughs> how old that is. I started working at BBL ING now, but BBL at the time in cash management, cash pooling in IT. So I worked in IT for 15 years before I changed to KBC. I left the bank to go work in an internet startup in 1999. That's like the, the dot-com uh, bubble, which bursted, of course, we all know. But I kept in working in the, in the finance area always. And I started in KBC in uh, 2007. So that's just before the financial crash. There's no correlation, I promise that. And I started working in payments after that in trade finance. So that was business side. I've been an auditor in financial market and security. So there I learned about uh, the plumbing of banking. And since 2016, I'm working in the blockchain. I started in the blockchain lab in the innovation and now working in uh, innovation and strategy also uh, as a blockchain lead. So that's uh, in short the story. Okay. Thanks for the introduction there. And uh, just for myself, I'm Matthew Benikirk, one of the co-founders and the CEO of uh, Settlement. Settlement is a blockchain transformation company. We help companies to connect the dots between people, processes, and technology to have successful blockchain transformation. And with that, Dirk, I want to maybe learn a little bit more about yourself. And uh, so you gave a high-level introduction and your journey at TBC started back in 2007, you said. Can you just maybe kind of recap what is your journey at KBC that's led, led you to where you are today? So I remember well, it was in the summer of, of 2015. I was working at audit at that time. So I was in between two audits and I started looking at Bitcoin. But working in audit where you have to check all the risks and all the regulatory stuff, you were looking at Bitcoin as something like, what is it worth? What is the valuation of Bitcoin? And we talk about market to market and all that stuff. It's like, okay, it doesn't represent anything. And I start digging deeper. And that was my background in ICT. So I came across the blockchain technology. And it was also there that I had the lateness, like everything that we're doing in reconciliation in financial markets and securities between banks, financial institutions, that's huge. And blockchain could be a solution for that because you only have one version of the truth. So uh, that was the simple part the theory. So, and then we started working on a project within trade finance in KBC. So I volunteered to join that. So uh, we joined a team uh, of three was at that point dedicated to follow up the blockchain endeavors that we're pursuing uh, together with uh, fellow Kun and Niki. Uh, at the time, you were also part of the, uh, one of the enthusiasts at KBC at that time. 
So we did a lot of experimenting, doing projects. We also launched a consortia ourselves, participated in consortia. So really being at the front end of what can this mean for KBC. So uh, looking together with businesses, what can blockchain mean for you? How can it be a threat? What is the opportunity? All that's giving education, of course, also a very big part of the of the role at that time, because uh, it's hard to grasp what blockchain is. You can't show a user interface that directly, yeah. so it's more a backend uh, plumbing tool. So that was yeah. the early day, how we started with blockchain and how we yeah, grew to doing experiments and finding out what it could mean. Yeah. And I know that like at, at KBC, you were always the innovation manager. And I'm curious to hear, and I think the audience would like to hear as well, what did that role entail? So what, as an innovation manager at KBC, what does it entail? Yeah, I call myself a little bit a jack of all trades. You follow the news. You have to know what is going out outside. What's the long-term view? What is hype? What is really uh, something that will stick to make a distinction between those two things? And so we spend a lot of time studying and, and being present at consortia conferences to understand what it's all about, tokenization, Web3. They're all buzzwords, but what do they mean? Then next to that, we also, the things that we are engaged in, we follow up, we're present to see that the evolution of the projects is to monitor the strategic fit. And that's also something that we need to do. And also trying out new things. So you go from, uh, we have typically these phases of experimenting, uh, going to incubation, going to industrialization, and to really keep track of this cycle that we don't go too fast, but that we start early enough with finding out, I always call it the quadranti unknowns. There are things we don't know that we don't know. Mm. How do you find out? It's getting your hands dirty. That's where it starts in experimenting. And so we, of course, uh, on Cour de Route, we have to uh, inform management via Stircos, uh, the budget that we spend, is it well spent, etc. So discussing also a lot with other departments because blockchain is not a technology that you do in IT alone. Blockchain has such a wide reach into business terminology, business concepts, business processes that you have to talk to many parties. Also, everything that's regulatory because it's a new technology. What is the impact legally compliance wise? It's also uh, spend a lot of time of education, linking, networking people to understand what the possibilities are of blockchain. And then, of course, yeah, writing out the, the policy notes. Okay, this is a suggestion that we will go into one project or not and, and get approval for those uh, next steps that we want to take. So uh, it's a, a little bit of everything, which, uh, well, I do like also given my background of, of having a lot of a lot knowledge of many different areas of banking and of IT. Yeah, that's uh, everything from researching, keeping your finger on the pulse about what's happening in the market and uh, through to stakeholder management, project management, and uh, all the way through to writing policy notes. That's a lot of different things to do, but and I'm curious to hear what does the typical day look like for you? Well, the three things that I'm mostly busy with is the trend watching to keep your finger at the pulse. You have to do that. Having the external contacts, all these kind of things. Secondly, the follow-up of the, the program that we're running for our programmable money, get back in, into that later, and tokenization, and to keep the strategic fit and to define the next steps. And thirdly, what I also started up last year was also that's more business development and that you see, okay, mm -hmm. we're building solution, we have some kind of solution that we have in place. How can we engage with uh, other parties to join the solution, to join our programs? So that's mostly like my day consists of 
activities within these three uh, areas, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting to say, like uh, business development is, is the new hat that you're wearing then, I guess. Maybe that's uh, somewhat indicative of where the market is, where KBC is with blockchain technology. Obviously, when you're in the lab doing experiment, you know, there's, you're not trying to com- usually, or typically, I, I don't imagine you're trying to commercialize that. It'll be a, a transformation journey, but, but I guess that, would you agree, Dirk, that's kind of indicative of where KBC is or where the market is in terms of blockchain technology adoption? Yeah, I think so. We've done experiments also with external parties. Uh, so we did uh, the, the EV charging pilot. We did with the Tress, a small, small firm, the FinTech. That's okay. So that's good for experimenting. And now we launched our Gatecoin. So we're building a platform. We launched Polaro crowdfunding. And then the next tip indeed is like, you don't do blockchain on your own. Huh? You know, uh, don't yeah. have to expect yeah. you. And uh, yeah. probably also no, not the audience to see, okay, how can we engage with other parties using the backbone of the trust for processes between different parties? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I just want to go back to something you said in the intro, since we're kind of leaning in on blockchain technology, we'll zoom out a bit, but just one last question on that before we come back to it later on. You mentioned that in your career early on, you were part of the internet boom and bust cycle. And of yeah. course, as we know today, you know, let's say 20 plus years on, everybody uses, it's omni, the internet's omnipresent, it's everywhere. And yeah. I wonder what's your view of like, is blockchain going to follow a similar trajectory or is it somehow different? It is similar and different. Let me explain. It's similar in the time to adoption, in the way that it took time for internet to grow from version one to version two, like web one, web two, that we know as we know Facebook and all the Amazon.com of today. That was very different in the beginning. I know I left because I was 25, I think I left the bank because I was impatient, like, why aren't we doing things like this? And I had a similar view with blockchain. So when we started in 2016, it's like, okay, this is transformational. This won't go from one day to another. It will take a lot of time also. And that's also the part that is different. It's about money. When it's about money, it's something totally different, very regulated. You have a lot of things. And that's also a difference with the internet. With the internet, there was a white piece of paper. We can start doing things. Now we have the web two that is present. So you're transforming things, you things that have already have been built, have been optimized as we have your, the law of diminishing returns, like why try harder? Everything is running fine. So you see that's more difficult than to make that switch. And I always find my opinion still is maybe it will come. I don't know, but I don't think it will be like a disruption as we thought it would be. We think that it will be a huge disruption, but it's also I was always compared to the Amara's law. We overestimate the technology in short term, but we underestimate it in the long term. So I think for everything that's blockchain and crypto, the tipping points still might have to come. I think we are now in the phase of getting more mature. A lot of companies are going live with things. So that's the first start of this plateau of productivity, how Gartner calls it in the hype cycle. So I experienced the Gartner hype cycle uh, for blockchain. And I think it's similar to internet with that. It will take years, but it will be so transformational in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And I guess 25 year old Dirk versus a few years older Dirk, perhaps you, this is not your first rodeo, then you've seen it before you're part of it now. Maybe just what did you personally learn from the first experience then that you carry forward in your informing your outlook on 
we're talking about blockchain, so blockchain technology adoption, but equally, I think for other disruptive technologies, what did you learn from the first experience and then that you're carrying forward as an individual, as a person? Looking for the unknown unknowns, because the solutions that are in place today, everything that is internet related, it was difficult to predict that what exists today to predict that 20 years ago. And sometimes I think you have to expect the silver bullet or the breakthrough in areas which you did not imagine. And that's the interesting thing to that you know that it can come from a corner where you did not expect it coming from and to keep your eyes and mind open for everything that's happening and not laughing with NFTs because who buys a bored ape monkey for such a price. So to look through it, to look through the technology and look at also societal environment, things that are changing, how can it contribute? Will it contribute? And where's the ignition in something that is bigger than we thought? So that's for me, lessons learned. I don't have an answer to it. It's just keeping eyes and ears open and be open for everything that I see and hear and have a guess like, okay, maybe this can be something or not. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And so we've kind of zoomed in a little bit on, on blockchain technology and, and what KBC is, uh, is working on in, in the domain that you're leading with the efforts of. What I wanted to maybe zoom out a little bit and talk a little bit more about technology more in general. And because as you're, you're keeping your eyes open and trying to keep your finger on the pulse with blockchain, probably potentially outside of blockchain as well. But are, are there technologies and trends that you see that really excite you? And yeah, let's start with that. What technology trends or technologies per se are do you find quite exciting for, for the financial services sector? I think the, there are different, uh, different technologies. Uh, of course, AI. Uh, we, mm-hmm. We've seen the hype, uh, I think, started six months ago. It can be frightening in a way. On the other hand, yeah, it is something to take into account. It is there, it can be very powerful. And the balance to keep will be how to make use of it, keeping the trust of the customers. And I think if you look at financial industry, trust is everything. Everything is trust-based. Also for blockchain, you can believe we don't need banks. Crypto will solve everything. Crypto brings security, but not trust. Uh, So trust is important. And that's the same for AI. If we start using it towards customer for our own work, how much do you trust it? Will it just be a tool or will it be something that can really replace uh, how we work today? So that's a question mark, maybe. So we have to see, but it's an interesting add-on. Let me call it like that. Also, everything that is IoT related and, and hyper-connectivity things that and that, that goes together with AI. And so how how can all things become autonomous? And what is the danger of, of things becoming autonomous? There's very much efficiency to gain in connecting everything that is digital, also with, with crypto and digital twins and everything like that. So IoT can automate a lot of things, create a lot of efficiency, but the, the question mark is how far will you let it go that it can become autonomous? And uh, what's the benefit of that? Or what's the risk of that? Or what's the place of the human being in that? We are still our digital digitization is very important also in the financial industry, but we're also always working on two pillars. We have also the physical branches, the physical contact, the human contact, which is very important uh, also in the trust aspect. And the third one uh, also that maybe less technology, there's a lot of technology that can contribute to that is everything that is personalization and identity. You see mm-hmm. more and more the tendency of, of privacy is very important, giving the people back the control over their data, 
these trends is and a lot of technology is being built also in in crypto to zero knowledge proof but how far does anonymity have to go and what is giving the user back his data what does it mean how can we continue operating in those model as a bank how can we facilitate it how can we bring trust so this is also an important technology and if you bring them all together yeah you can see a lot of building blocks to have like we had the industrial revolution we had the information age so what's the next i don't want to go to into matrix like uh, uh stuff <laughs> but you're feeling that something something will be changing in the in the coming 20 30 years things will be will be different and well that's exciting in a way so uh, i'm excited about it let's call it like that yeah it might be that we can talk about the metaverse as well but uh, perhaps we're not the metaverse to consider but we might be on mars in 20 30 years and in, in setting up new civilizations and uh, yeah. well maybe that's a bit too far out in the future uh, uh, for for real predictions and certainty as you said you know the, the unknown unknowns uh, what does a new environment a new context a new way of doing business, a new way of doing banking. How exactly is that going to look? It's, I guess nobody has the crystal ball, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. So you can talk there and just maybe to unpack, because you mentioned also EV charging use case. And you mentioned in, in the last, you were explaining about uh, different technologies like AI, IoT, and blockchain, of course, that can be seen. And I think what you're describing is, is kind of like the, when different disruptive technologies come together, new opportunities emerge. and. But I'm curious to hear the role of these different technologies in, a, in the practical sense. Like, um, can you unpack a little bit or share some more insight into the EV charging use case? Did that specifically use IoT or, or blockchain or, or AI? Yeah, the experiment that we did was to have a wallet, a user wallet who could buy like energy coins and then to have the EV charging session to start the EV charging session and at the end to have paid with the coins. That sounds like a simple payment, but uh, the philosophy behind it was also that in the end, you should not have a wallet on your phone, but your car has a wallet and the charging pole has a wallet and you have the connector of your electric car, they communicate and they will handle the transaction. You don't have to worry. And blockchain can make sure that everything is correctly handled. Um, You can also put your if you put the business transaction of the energy consumption on the blockchain, you have a settlement with the blockchain, you have one environment to handle both the business transaction and the settlement, which is very powerful for, for blockchain as an environment. So that would be the communication of IT, IoT devices uh, between each other. But you can, if you then move it to up to a higher level, you have the, the energy transition that we're in today, uh, where energy is produced uh, centrally and consumed decentrally, that's going into a transition. Uh, if, if you have solar panels, you're producing energy. So you get a decentralization of the, of the energy consumption and, uh, and supply, which matches what blockchain is about. So if every device has a wallet, generates energy and, and can trade peer to peer, you can have uh, a lot of possibilities there. And maybe AI can play a role in forecasting volumes of supply or demand and, and giving you the best way to when to consume your energy and when to sell your energy. So you can have a, a lot of powerful use of, of AI at that moment. And yeah, your car can have an identity. Physical things can have an identity. You don't have to stop identity with you, with you and human beings. So that would create a new, totally new network of business transactions. And it is transformational and in a way that 
it will take time because the current business processes are not set up like that. You're mm -hmm. redesigning your business process, re-engineering, but not within your own company, but with all the stakeholders within an industry with all. And that's a lot of parties that you will have to align to come to a, a common vision, which is far in the future. And everybody will have to find its place. We'll have to find, you have to find a win-win for everyone. Because that's the difficulty also of blockchain. It's you don't need intermediaries. Well, but what do you do with existing intermediaries today? Don't they have a role anymore? How can they find a new role? Because why would they let go how things work today? And we all know, and those who have an electrical vehicle, I don't know how many types of charging passes that you have to go to a charge pole to say, okay, can I, how can I charge here? I need what pass one, two, three, or this app or that app. If we all would use energy coins and you have an agreement within the industry, this things could be a lot more efficient, but there's a lot of other powers than only the technology uh, power that is needed to transform that. So these are well practical examples of how technology could help, but how difficult it might be in the journey to achieve that end state. Yeah, great. Really cool to, to get more insight into the, that use case and get that really a practical one that has um, broad, let's say, quite a broad potential for adoption. I think the the push to EV is is huge. And I think, I don't know if there's legislation or, or regulation coming that would further disincentivize combustion engines, but uh, I guess the direction is very clear. And I just got a couple of questions from the audience. Maybe I'll, I'll field a few of those now, Dirk, and then... Um, then we'll continue with a few more questions. Um, so one very straightforward question, is KBC moving to Web3? Oh, tried Web3. We're currently working on private blockchain. We're looking into public blockchain. We're, of course, MICAR, the new regulation will come into force in June 2024. Uh, we have to uh, make an alignment with that, but we are we're looking into that. Of it would not be good if we would not be doing that. Huh? Because you yeah. see, and, and that's what I didn't mention, and that's the similar to my internet experience. Uh, we used to have, those who are old enough, they will recognize it. We used to have internet, intranet, and extranets. We don't have them anymore. So something changed along the way. So yeah. might be the same path for public versus private blockchain. Yep. And I'm going to take one more question for now, and then we'll get the rest at the end in the Q&A session. The next question, how will you, I think they mean KBC, manage blockchain transaction costs uh, for KCoin or other blockchain-backed applications at KBC? So kind of a question about yeah, how are transaction costs handled? And I think maybe that's answered by, with the current state, using permission chains. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. Permission, so we don't have the, the gas fees uh, or anything. So Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was a straightforward one. So I guess that's something to consider for the future. That's a known, yep. unknown, I guess, at this point, uh, when if there are public chains that are powering applications at KBC, then of course, that uh, there has to be a clear approach to that, of course. All right. So next question I want to ask you here. KBC has won a lot of awards for different aspects of the digital experience they provide to customers. And mm -hmm. if you look, were to look at digital transformation here, not specifically about blockchain, but digital transformation, say there's a start point, a spectrum from there. And I don't know if there is an endpoint, but where would you say that KBC is on the digital transformation journey of the bank? It's like a treadmill. It keeps on rolling. <laughs> uh, right. We started, we had our app was launched, I think, now 10 years ago. And we were so excited and proud that we could say you can do a bank transfer via the app. And now it's obvious. 
So you don't have to stop once you have done an innovation. So it's a continuum. And it's a, the digital transformation is something that will keep on rolling. It never stops. And we have no time for complacency. We have to look at the methodology. How do we innovate? What do we choose for? What do we don't do to make a link to the longer term strategy? So we, we keep on in this cycle, as I explained before, we have ideation, we have experiments, we incubate, we go live, we stop things, a lot of things. I think we, I, I counted them once. I think we did five, 15 proof of concepts and we investigated like 60 IDs for blockchain. So a lot of things, most of them stopped, uh, but everything that you stop has a learning and you take for your next uh, experiment. We couldn't have done a uh, gate coin without having done all these experiments. So that's the thing that we also have to have to take into account. So it's something that never stops yeah. innovation. Yeah, that's interesting because I think some organizations don't have a very clear structured approach to managing innovation. And I think mm -hmm. what you kind of casually described is actually a very formalized process of bringing new innovation to the market. Is that correct, Dirk? Like uh, when you talk about those are are those like really documented, clear, defined steps go into bringing new innovations to the market? At KBC, of course. Yeah, we have that. So we start, we have a methodology for doing that and everything that needs to be launched or somebody wants to launch, we will look whether it fits somewhere. There are also, so these are voluntarily IDs. We have a innovation studio for that, for doing new IDs, but we don't know what will it bring, but people get the opportunity to pitch their ID, to get some budget, to, to try things out, to find things, to go uh, test things in the market. So that's possible. Once we have defined the technology as being uh, mature enough to go to a next maturity level, it can be that we ask several business units to really go for a certain uh, new innovation and that it, it will have its place uh, in every step of that development cycle towards industrialization. So that's clearly, that methodology is clearly defined. That we, de we redo the cycle uh, every year again. We look back and then we look forward and, and we learn and we have all the data of, of how, how we did, what worked, what did not, and we can adapt and then map again towards the things that we see coming in the longer term. Yeah, very clear. And just maybe one last question for this part of the webinar, and then I'm gonna, uh, we're going to zoom in a little bit more. We'll go back to the blockchain topics more specifically, but a lot of our the people that join our podcast, but also our webinars are, uh, let's say, aspiring to become leaders in the digital space and in the blockchain space. So in your view, what are the most important skills, whether they're a hard skill, they're soft skill, that somebody who's looking to get into an innovation role or to lead innovative change within a bank, you know, what are those the top skills that they have to have? Well, definitely being open-minded and curious. Like, what is the technology? Understand, understand technology, but not, it can be a goal to understand technology for the technology part, but also to understand technology, what can it mean for the business? So I think that's a very important soft skill that you don't rule out things that you, we all have our beliefs and that don't give guidance, but it can also mean that you stop looking at some things that can make a difference. So that's, that's definitely one that's very important to be open-minded and, and uh, future looking from a practical way. Well, once you understand it, it doesn't mean that the organization understands it. So there's yeah. a lot of education to be done, a lot of convincing to be done. Listen to every critical voice is input to take along. Don't want to convince everything about you being right. You have to understand what, why other people think differently about it and, and what's their angle in it. 
and then to see how you can incorporate that and to also understand and then motivate better why you think that something uh, can be different. So that's something that's very important. Make sure that you have budget to do research and development and experiments. That's what I also said about discovering the unknown unknowns, and not only from technology point of view, but also maybe more blockchain related in the collaboration view, because you don't do blockchain on your own. Like, okay, how do you look at it uh, together with another party? Yeah? How do you look at that? That's also innovation. So that's not technological innovation, but that's business process innovation. Also, that is innovation. How can you make use of it in a, in a business context? And then indeed, well, work on the methodology. How do you decide what to start, what to stop, how much money to put into something? How you don't want to, to burn cash? So you have to be able to say, no, we stop because certain reasons. It's not a problem to freeze some things for a year or two years. That's not, that, that can be a bad decision, of course. There are always uh, bad decisions. You will learn that along the way. And well, you have to be able to evaluate, is this something to pursue, yes or no, and to balance the short term and the long term. You can, I spent six years, and I'm very grateful to KBC for that. I spent six years in the blockchain lab environment. So I was paid to, to look around what it, what it means, what it can be. But there was an investment, which is, well, we have been six people at a certain point, and then it diminished against to three to two. But that investment compared to all the other investments is not that big. But you invested in long term, because what, as I said, when we started up KateCon, you, you recuperate a lot of knowledge that you have to get a good start of something that you're building for industry for the longer term. So that balance also have to have to be found. And some things have to deliver in the short term, of course. Otherwise, you're, you're like a research department, and we're not. Uh, we're still a, a for-profit company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, great. So with that, I'm going to close up the first series of questions. I just want to hit the context for more specifically blockchain in capital markets. So I'm just going to share some slides. So what we see, and this is a lot of different research studies that are out there. This one is from uh, Gartner. So Gartner has identified that there's about a $3.1 trillion opportunity for new business value creation by 2030 with blockchain technology. And Dirk, like many others in the, the banking sector, have been working with blockchain technology now, I think you said since uh, 2015 or 2016 there. So we're coming on, you know, seven, eight years of active, a number of things going into production, a lot of things happening. But I think there's a lot more opportunity to be captured with the, the technology. At least that's what, what Gartner indicates. A couple of other key data points in the survey that Gartner did, 83% of executives felt there was a strong business case uh, for working with blockchain, and 53% indicated that uh, it was a top five priority at uh, at the bank they're working in. So there's a couple of data points to throw out there about blockchain and banking in general. This uh, the, the next set of uh, numbers are coming from a report called DLT in the Real World that came out this year. Uh, Glenn Fernandez at the Euroclear is one of the, the authors in this. So they've got a lot of experts that are really looking into blockchain and or DLT and digital assets and how that is evolving. And some interesting things are coming through. And I think if you look at the first what you know the message here, 39% of banks are are live with DLT and digital assets. Uh, meaning of the, the survey, the sample size, you see a massive increase in production utilization of, of blockchain and DLT. Uh, going from you know four percent in 2020 up to 32 uh, percent in 2022 up to 39 percent this year. So I think this what I read this uh, saying is like okay there there are a lot of banks that are doing experiments so that they have you know there's moving that those experiments that's more on the the right the the other side of the screen where R and D activities on DLT are actually declining 
which is, I think, that technology adoption curve is kind of playing out where there's less focus on R&D and experiments and much more on, okay, well, how do we get this into production? And it might be the case that, you know, the banks have done uh, 10 different experiments, but one of them went to production. So they, they've got a lot of experimentation that's behind them and that focused on really learning about blockchain for blockchain sake is diminishing and the push to production application and utilization is, is well underway. Another interesting finding from that study, and like you said, you're also, um, let's say, looking into public blockchain, but 82% of the projects across different domains in capital markets, it was um, the survey respondent indicated that uh, they think that in the future, they will use uh, public blockchains for their use cases. Uh, there were a couple that said that they will, will stick to more private blockchains, but the vast majority, 82%, were anticipating that in the coming years, uh, they'll be looking at uh, utilizing uh, public blockchains. And I think another thing, a nuance that I kind of pull out of this is I think it, we often talk about private public as a, a dichotomy, but within an application, you might utilize a hybrid solution. Part of it is on a private chain, part is on a public chain. But I think the expectation and that came through in the survey is that financial services players and actors will increasingly start to utilize public blockchains with their blockchain transformation journey. And I'm going to pause there, Dirk. Do you have any reactions on what I'm presenting here to the last couple of points? Yeah, I think for us, we're purely looking at private blockchain. If you look at public blockchain, I think what I'm looking at is everything that is privacy-related technology developments. Mm -hmm. on public. And I think it's one thing that might be solved is the performance of a public blockchain with the layer two solutions that is getting better also with the gas costs and, and the fees. The second thing would be the zero knowledge proof and, and the rollups and all this technology because you cannot share data on a, on a public blockchain. Uh, we, we don't. And from a financial perspective, we want encrypt data on a public blockchain, which can could be decrypted uh, in X number of years. So that's also why we're looking at private blockchain. So I think uh, performance, security, privacy are, t are things to be solved on, on public blockchain level. And for some applications, if you're looking B2B, the privacy context might be different because GDPR is only applicable for personal identifiable information. So there you might switch earlier to the public blockchain. And it's also how to see how you use the public blockchain. And you could say that if you have a private blockchain, which you anchor to the public blockchain, so you can prove that your data is not tampered with, is also a possible use of public blockchain. And to have the trust of the share of the public infrastructure and the public security to deliver extra trust for what you're building. So. There are many, there are hybrid ways, as you mentioned. So, and I probably, it will be, it will be a longer journey as we went from, from extra net to the, to the internet, as we know it today, probably uh, we'll have the same evolution, but things need to be, some things need to be in place first. Sure. Yeah. Great. So thank, thanks for that uh, reaction. Now I'm going to zoom in for, I think we're going to spend about five to 10 minutes, uh, so kind of a rush session here of questions, but I think a lot of the content I wanted to still cover is the, we covered it in the first part. So I think just reflecting on the blockchain transformation journey at KBC, you mentioned it started, correct me if I'm wrong, 2015, 2016, somewhere in that time frame. And has it been a smooth journey? <laughs> just maybe a, yeah. an easy question to start. <laughs> it's never a smooth journey because uh, it's like I explained that you're you're transforming things. So you're also you're not only doing technology. It's not like new new type of database that you will want to use. You're transforming business processes, and that is uh, 
that is a change together with the regulatory aspect. So that takes time. It's not that easy because you have to convince parties that don't see the benefits or the benefits are not large enough. You always, you know, the question, oh, what's the business case? Well, it depends what's the payback time <laughs> that I can yeah. adhere to. So yeah. if it's something English, yeah, may, I might have a business case. And we had cases where we saw that, okay, this could be nice. And we were also part of R3 in the, in the, for a few years. And we did projects on the European commercial paper where we saw that, okay, if you have the bond on blockchain, that can, can have advantages, but we still have to link to, to the traditional payment rails because we didn't have cash on chain at that point. It was 2017. So then you say, oh, it's not worth it to make the transition. So you right. have to art in a way that so, yeah, then it's a business case problem. Sometimes it's well, what we have in place, that's okay. We don't see any, not a lot of, we had cases where we evaluated, okay, but if we then do it with blockchain, how much would we save in the back office? Like, you know, one FTE. Yeah, then, yeah. It, then it stops. It's not that big a difference. What's always had been an opportunity where we see that we can move along when something is not there. Like we had that trade finance, there was no solution. That's one thing. A second thing is something needs to be replaced. If you need to replace something, it's an opportunity to look, okay, can blockchain be beneficial? So that's also a good opportunity to look at it. And then it goes smoother. Let me go like that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. So you mentioned uh, one of the areas that you were working on before commercial papers with our three kind of a missing element was cash on chains that you had to then integrate with existing payment rails. And I was going to ask you the question, what problem does KCoin solve? But maybe that's part of the answer there because you've got cash on chain. And so KCoin has been around for a couple of years already. And okay. I just, maybe if you can elaborate on what is the problem that uh, KCoin is designed to solve and, and who is solving a problem for? Yeah. Well, KCoin is one of the implementations of our money backbone. And so that's one thing to keep in mind. We have a programmable money backbone on which we can issue different kind of coins. Uh, well, it's also, the program of money is also used for borrow crowdfunding. So we'll come back to that. And Gatecoin is an implementation as in specifically for Gatecoin being as a reward for our customers and to reusing the programmability to give the opportunities to lots KBC departments that want to create more sales of one product and, and giving coins that you can use for another product. So that's the internal Gatecoin that we had until now. We also launched it now with commercial partners where commercial partners can have uh, access to, like we have 1.5 million customers, wait, 1.9 million customers, but we can address 1.5 million customers with, with rewards. And the thing here is what would it change is, is you have to look at how rewards or vouchers are used today. Today, a voucher is a promise that you will get money or a product for it. And if you go to a store, you give the voucher to the store and the store does have a voucher, which is a promise, which you will have to claim to a brand, which yeah. takes time. That's a long process because it <laughs> take, take a lot of time. If you make a coin, which carries value, you can give the coin to at the merchant. If you buy a product and the merchants yeah. on reconciliation immediately has its money. So the benefits are maybe not that directly visible. But in the backend plumbing of all the reconciliation between different parties, it will solve a lot of problems. And also from the liquidity part, because the merchant will have its money much quicker than it has today. So that's the plumbing part. And of course, the programmability part is, yeah, you can incentivize certain behavior and to reward customers with coins for showing a certain behavior and also uh, being able to promote certain products. Uh, which can be beneficial for the customer, really 
targeted. It always goes together with Kate, our personal assistant, who wants to save you time and earn money. So but, she knows. Let me say, she knows what's good for you. She, she yeah. that's the intent that we get there. And Kate Coyne is, is part of that. Yeah. Okay. Great. So the main innovation, or the let's say, there's a backbone for programmable money. Kate Coyne is one use case built on top of that. And I, I, I've noticed in my KBC mobile app that I've, I've got about, I think, 140 Kate coins that, and I, yeah. I, I'm impressed. I see like uh, new merchants popping in there all the time. So I guess maybe that's what the, when you talk about business development is specific to Kate coin in that case, yeah, you're having yeah. that is bringing merchants in for loyalty at like new spaces. So the underlying programmable money backbone that you mentioned, the switching gears to a little crowdfunding. Can you tell us a bit more about what's been going on with Bolo crowdfunding and uh, how you see what, you know, the results that are coming through and how you view that? Yeah. So we started, Bolo crowdfunding kind of emerged from two exercises that we did. One was on the broader, there was the time that it was called security tokens and that we started with investigating, okay, what can it mean for KBC? And then we had a, a group of very multidisciplinary for all kinds of people, equity, bonds, uh, corporate bonds, government bonds. The bulk of crowdfunding was also part of that to see, okay, what could we do if we, if we take a step and Boulder crowdfunding is an area that is quite compared to all the other types of bonds is quite small. There is clear regulation in place. It's up to 5 million regulation was changing. So there was a new regulation coming in where the requirements for the Boulder crowdfunding platforms increased. And we noticed that the Boulder platform that we have was insufficient. So we had to make a choice, okay, we need to rebuild or heavily rebuild or create a new platform. And then we made the decision, okay, this might be a good case to set the first steps into the tokenization so that we would tokenize the bond and then also have the cash like where we can do this the dream that we all have as a banker. That's a delivery versus payment that is in, in, in real time without any settlement risk or, or delivery risk. So that was the initial uh, start of the, of the project. Yeah, and it, it, the interesting thing for me is like um, there are a lot of uh, you hear quite often in the press, media, online, social media, all that stuff, where there's a kind of a one-off event. Okay, this bank did a bond on that blockchain, and it, yay! Yeah, <laughs> but this is something much deeper, much more fundamental. I think. And, uh, yeah, we we did of course did the proof of concept also together with you in 2019, I think, or 2020 to see, okay, will it work? Yes or no. That was also private blockchain. And the initiatives that we see mostly are public blockchain. That's one thing. Secondly, we want to replace a platform for continuing the business, which a business yeah. upon work crowdfunding, which already existed within, within Bolero and GBC and was successful. So we need a continuum for that. So it's not doing a one-off. But really yeah. building a platform which we can scale upon and not only scale upon for Polaro crowdfunding, what we also took into account into the design is like, okay, if we have a bond lag or a digital asset lag and a cash lag, well, you might start thinking about other types of tokenization. So yeah. and if you look at Boston Consulting Group uh, showed that figure of, I think, tokenization will take up to 16 trillion yeah. uh, of, yeah. of, of uh, US dollar value in 2030. So we have to see, okay, what we have built now, can we use it as a stepping stone towards doing more things uh, on top of it? Yeah. All right. And I think we might have to plan a follow-up webinar or anything. Because I got about 10 more questions, but we're getting out of time. And I, I don't want to leave the, the questions from the audience unattended. So mm -hmm. that's all right for you, Dirk. I'm just going to switch over back to the, the questions that are coming up in the Q&A section. 
and um, we'll go through those. All right, so geared to that being something specific to, okay, um, the energy industry or banking. Uh, so what's your view, opinion about the regulatory status uh, within different EU member states to promote blockchain propositions in different sectors, be that energy or banking? Is it a, does Europe have a good regulatory stance on the blockchain in, in banking? I think MiCAR is a good first step. It creates clarity of what is allowed and how it is allowed, whether it will be the definite one for many years. I think it's a, a step into the right direction. And we don't, it's not possible for society to go full decentralized, anonymized. That's not, it's too much Wild West. We've seen that things go wrong. So the regulator is there to put a framework in place. Is it the one that we would like it to be like that? You have the discussions about the travel rule between the wallets and the unhosted wallets and, and self-hosted wallets. And yeah, that's good. The debate is there. So that's, and it, but you can start doing things and out of that will emerge what can blockchain. I will, I always say blockchain can bring in new risks, but blockchain can also take away some risks. And today I don't think we adopt legislation for the parts of the risks that it can take away. And I think okay. that's for something that needs to be proven that if you do things right on blockchain, then you can take away risk. And then legislation can evolve with the evidence of how it really works. We still have to see it in, in what real life, real economy use cases that's going like that. That's a good framework, good starting point, a good starting point for hopefully a better framework in the future. If I kind of twist your words yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to go to the next one. So Yanmina is asking that we had the discussion about private and public blockchains. She would like to know if KBC is looking for DeFi use cases. Are you investigating DeFi and, and is it some, like lending pools or other stuff like that? Is that something you, you see as a potential direction for KBC? It could be not for the moment. We're not into that. If you look at how JP Morgan was uh, working with Aave for creating liquidity pool, we're looking at it. Uh, we're looking at programmability as our programmable money backbone. We're looking at programmability and already can experiment with the things like that, but not the decentralized finance as such. And if you look at decentralized finance, how it was set up by JP Morgan Abbey also was that it was permissioned. We will always have to know who is part of it. So the, the pure decentralization is not a goal per se, but the technology of creating liquidity pools and how like the automated market makers are very interesting, but it takes uh, a lot of experimentation first before going uh, going live with, with stuff like that. So, but we're looking at it, but it's it's further away on the radar. Yeah, I've often kind of viewed myself in, I've kind of seen, being an ex-banker, I kind of look at what's happening in DeFi and, and kind of characterize it as a Petri dish where there's a lot of really cool experiments going on that have a lot of potential for the future at some point. But um, the, the regulatory frameworks have to be in place in order to to go that direction. And, and that's an interesting micro environment and ecosystem yeah. to really learn from, I think. So, yeah, that indeed. And I'm going to take one more question from the list. Uh, this is about Kate and Kate Coin. We got two. Maybe we can combine them. Uh, there's a bit of a, an anonymous attendee who uh, sees Kate Coin as a, a simple tool. That's usually a good tool. Uh, you don't need to make things complex. But is it too difficult for the average Belgian? Would you think maybe the average user? Well, it, it might be a change of how rewards are, are being done today. But indeed, like you say, the intention is to have it really simple and that you don't even have to worry about 
have I used my gate coins when you go to a shop? So that everything is, uh, and that's the customer experience that we uh, want to achieve that, that you can use them in a very uh, simple way. It might be new to, but the thing is that it might be called a coin, but if you see it in your mobile, it should be very straightforward and it's new and that makes probably some confusion. I don't know. We try to explain it in a lot of ways. We want to educate and help the customer to understand what it is, but in the end, it should be the simplicity in, in the customer journey that you use it uh, when you pay that it is used and you don't have to worry whether you forgot it or not. So that's the end call. Got it. Yeah. And uh, Dirk, I'm going to start wrapping up now, but a lot of the people joining the webinar today, I'm sure they would like to, to follow yourself and KBC's blockchain transformation journey. Where's the best place for them to follow along and, um, and find you? Well, I, I can find me on LinkedIn. I can find me on Twitter. We also have uh, just follow KBC, follow, you can follow Kate on LinkedIn. So there are many channels to follow up uh, what we're doing. Also the website, we have an innovation section. So, uh, but you can always uh, contact me via, via LinkedIn. Yeah, excellent. All right. And the, just to close out the webinar, I'm just going to do one more screen share. We recently published a, a guidebook. It's gonna, we call it the operational guide to blockchain transformation in capital markets. So this is you know, a guidebook to, to help anyone that's on a blockchain transformation journey or just embarking on it. What we see in the market is that there's, you know, blockchain ambition on one side, uh, blockchain opportunity. Uh, Dirk talked about this, I think it was the lofty number of 16 trillion from BPD. I talked about the 3.1 trillion. So there's, there's a big opportunity, but the success rate of projects is uh, typically around 15%. And what we, uh, this, this book, this guidebook is, is intended to provide a lot of hands-on practical knowledge about how you can cross that complexity chasm and get from ambition to realizing the opportunities though. With that, I'm going to close out for today, for today. And Dirk, I'd really like to thank you a lot. I didn't reference the, uh, the very notable picture in the background that you have there. So <laughs> very nice. Uh, Russell's. You're in Russell. But once again, Dirk, thanks so much for joining us today. And um, have a great day. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chief Digital Heroes, brought to you by Settlement, the world's leading blockchain transformation platform. To learn more about Settlement or to access the latest episodes, visit Settlement.com.